0: Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in about 10 minutes, and I'm excited to welcome our guest today. This is Len Hurstein, and he is the author of a new book that has come out called Be Vigilant. He's also the CEO of Manage Camp, and he also spends some time in law enforcement. Len, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. What else would you like the people to know about your book or anything else that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, Sean, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this and um, what you're doing is great. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. Listen, the, the, the thing that I'm talking about most these days is the book that you mentioned is called Be Vigilant Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance and Safeguard Success. And it's all about this idea that complacency kills. Complacency kills businesses. It kills brands. It kills um, organizations and it kills personal relationships. And the reality is, And the irony of complacency is that the more successful we are, the more vulnerable we are to complacency. And so this book is all about what is complacency, what is it not, how do we identify it, and how do we fight it with vigilance, not paranoia, with vigilance. And um, there's 10 different things that, that you can start doing right away in the book that helps you as a leader, as a parent, as a partner, whatever you are in life. Um, eliminate or at least fight complacency and, and, uh, and be better off, protect the success you've worked so hard to accomplish.
0: That's awesome. I love your perspective on all of this. And you and I obviously were chatting just a little bit before we started the recording, but uh, you've got some interesting background with your law enforcement experience that adds to the narrative just a little bit. So I uh, strongly encourage everyone to read the book because I think that there are some fascinating tie-ins with life. And I am a big proponent of avoiding complacency as well. So awesome. I'm excited to talk with you, Len. Let's uh, let's jump into the questions. Our first question um, <clears throat> share, if you would, please, an example of maybe where you've run into some conflict or a struggle with maybe a coworker and how you resolved it.
1: So uh, yeah, this is this is interesting, right? Because my, my background before I got into uh, producing conferences, which is what I, I do uh, for marketers and before writing a book and law enforcement was in consumer packaged goods brand marketing. And so that was working for Campbell Soup and Coca-Cola and Nabisco. And it's an interesting dynamic there because what happens is you um, as a brand marketer lead a brand as an organization. Um, and so you're kind of at the hub of the wheel. You've got marketing and you've got sales and you've got finance and you've got packaging and design and all these things that have to come back together. But the reality is that you have you don't have direct control over Almost any of them. None of none of them report directly to you, and so you have to be able to get this group of people who all have differing incentives and different things that they're being judged upon by their own bosses, and you have to bring them together towards the goal of you know delivering uh, you know profit on this specific product. And so there's a lot of conflict that happens because people are, you know, pulled in different ways. You know, the people want product on the shelf and they want lots of product on the shelf, but the supply chain people don't want to have too much product in the supply chain. And so they're trying to, you know, hit their numbers exactly, whereas sales would rather have more so that they can make sure that they never have an empty shelf. And so they're both getting judged and, and work and, uh, and, you know, trying to accomplish different goals. And so there's a lot of conflict there. And, and what we need to do is we need to, and what we've always done in that situation is you need to find a common goal. You need to be able to bring people together so that we can all focus, you know, at least for a moment on something that, that we can all have in common. And that you know, a lot of times is you know, customer satisfaction, or uh, profit, right? Or whatever it is, we can all come together and say, yeah, we've got, a, we've got the, our individual things that are driving us. And that's what drives a lot of conflict is that, you know, we, you and I might have conflict because what's driving me is at odds with what's driving you, but we're all trying to accomplish success at the same time. And so, you know, what we've always done and what, what I did a lot in that situation is really try and dig down to those common denominators. What are the things that we can share in success And how do we, you know, refocus our mission, refocus our purpose to make that something that we can all get together on and move forward, you know, in unison. So building on
0: common ground, common objectives, common purposes, and and so on and so forth. Boy, that's that's a great comment, Len. I really like that approach about finding that common ground that we can build on. And that will help, if nothing else, mitigate, but hopefully eliminate that conflict that often comes up. That's a great comment. Question number two, I'm sure you've heard the phrase that employees don't leave jobs, they leave managers. What's one suggestion that you would offer to a leader to help them retain employees a little bit better?
1: Yeah, so we're seeing a lot. I mean, what's everybody talking about these days? The great resignation. Right. And this is a great complacency. We were talking about my book and we're talking about you know complacency stuff. This to me is a great example of complacency because most people are talking about the great resignation as if it was a COVID thing or is a COVID thing, but it is not. This is something that has been born from years of complacency, years of power in the hands of the employer. And misusing that power, and now all of a sudden the employees have a little bit more power, and they're using it, and they're leaving. So one of the things that that I think is most important, as it relates to you know employee engagement or keeping people with you, is really factoring down where can we put more autonomy and discretion into the work product. Where can we let go and give our employees the opportunity to make their own decisions? To give them the freedom to, you know, guide themselves along the path towards success. Once people have that discretion and autonomy, it naturally forces them to be more engaged because they have to be more aware to have that information. This is something that we do in law enforcement. As a as a you know, a sheriff's deputy, when I pull someone over for a traffic violation, I have discretion. I can write them a ticket, maybe even take them to jail, depending on what they've been doing. Or I can give them a warning. There's a lot of different things that I can do that I have discretion in the moment. Because I have that discretion, it forces me to pay more attention to what's going on so that I can get the right information to make those decisions. Having that ability to stay aware avoids complacency and keeps me engaged. And when I stay engaged, you know, the the studies show that the more engaged worker is the more satisfied worker, the more the worker that's more likely to stay you know, with you in the long run. So that's the thing that you can do right away is look for places that you can add autonomy and discretion to, to your employees jobs.
0: Great comments. And you're absolutely right. That engagement will drive their retention a lot more. And I'd love your comments about autonomy and giving people some flexibility to kind of make some, make some of their own decisions. And that will drive engagement. Great comments. All right. Question number three, What's, what's one, maybe two ideas, but let's start with at least one on how you would build resilience in a team.
1: Build resilience. So tell me a little bit more about what, what, what you mean by that.
0: Well, it starts with a definition of resilience, which I view as handling things that are unexpected, unanticipated. Mm-hmm. So how do we bounce back from those those times where something happens that we weren't expecting? And that could be everything as broad as a pandemic to narrow as something just in the company that may happen. Well, yeah. <clears throat> we often run into things that uh, we weren't anticipating that are we view as a setback or an adversity. And the, the ability to come yeah. back to that is, is resilience. How would you help uh, accomplish that in a team?
1: Well, so, you know, what I I would say is a lot of what happens when things are unexpected is because of a lack of preparation ahead of time, right? So one of the things I talk in the book and talk about in the book in terms of being, uh, you know, eliminating complacency, right? And being vigilant is this idea of threat awareness. When we do a lot of this in law enforcement, we do a lot of what if scenarios. If this happens, what are we going to do? right? What are we going to do if that happens? What if, you know, these circumstances come about, right? I do it all day long as I'm going through my day. I'm thinking about what happens if someone comes through that door or someone does this, right? So we're constantly doing these, these, you know, threat assessments and scenario planning. And by doing that ahead of timing and doing that in a controlled way, what that does is it allows you to make decisions faster. Now you might call this resilience. So the ability to react to what's going on, right? People have this misconception that we will rise to the occasion when something bad happens. And what we know in in law enforcement, what we know in military is that we don't rise to the occasion. When something happens that's unexpected, we fall to our highest level of training, okay? So we automatically go back to what we know. Now, if we've done that preparation ahead of time, if we've looked at where can our threats come from, where are the competitive threats that can that, that can come? Where are the environmental threats? Where are the governmental and regulate regulatory threats? Where are the geographic threats? Whatever they are, right? If we have if we spend the time up front when we're not in a crisis, so the best time to figure out what you're going to do in a crisis is before you're in a crisis, right? If we spend that time up front figuring out what we might do, our decision process which will relate back in our minds to our resiliency speeds up the ability for us to react to things speed up because we've already predecided what we're going to do in those situations. So for me, a lot of it is preparation, right? Now having an agile workforce and being able to do that, you know, there's always going to be things that, that slip through and, and, and having, you know, the ability within your organization to react quickly is, is, is a whole nother story. But to me, most of that can be eliminated by that upfront preparation.
0: I love that that answer because I completely agree, first of all, but boy, that preparation that builds that confidence and the ability to, to respond to a situation. But I love how you said that it, uh, if, I mean see if I can quote you correctly, that we don't necessarily rise to the occasion, but we fall to our highest level of training. And that's where that preparation and in a leadership perspective about how we prepare our teams and start anticipating as best we can, but then we fall to that, uh, that item that we've discussed or that plan of action. I love that. I think that's a great approach. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, uh, question number four, is there someone that you'd like to recognize that has had an influence or an impact in your life?
1: Yeah, you know what? So I've I've been doing you know the other part of my job is is I put on these marketing conferences. It's called the Brand Manage Camp Conference. We've done it annually for the last 19 years, where we put on this two day event for brand marketers to come and get inspired, educated, and energized, and you know better able to build and grow more profitable brands, become better leaders. So I've had this opportunity over 19 years to work with a lot of best selling authors and thought leaders and gurus. Um, so there's so many people like that, I, that have influenced me in the way I think, you know, I can give you kind of two or three right off the bat and people that, you know, you know, if people are looking for other books to read or other people to, to get in touch with, you know, number one is a guy by the name of Bruce Turkel, T-U-R-K-E-L. Um, he, uh, just wrote a book. Is, is that all there is? But his previous book was, um, it's, you know, all about them. And so, you know, what Bruce taught me and, and was something I was kind of always, you know, within me, but but it's become a mantra of mine is it's all about them. And as a leader, as a business owner, as a marketer or whatever you are, if you think about, am I doing what I'm doing right now for me or for them? And the them might change, the them might be your employees, the them might be your customers, the them might be your partners or vendors, right? But you gotta make it about them. You gotta make sure, you know, it's a, something as simple as when you're doing a presentation you know, in, in, a, in a room full of people. Are you presenting a bunch of slides because you want people to see all the work you've done and you want them to understand how much you've put into this? Or are you giving them the two things that they really wanted to get out of this meeting, right? And it's the difference between maybe a 60-minute presentation with 400 slides or a five-minute presentation with two slides, right? Is it all about me or is it all about them? So Bruce Terkel definitely influenced the way I thought. Another guy is, is a guy by the name of Jay Baer, B-A-E-R. And he's wrote several books. Um, The one that really, you know, sticks with me is this idea of uh, he's written two. One is called Utility, Y-O-U-Tility. And it's all about how to make your marketing useful to people so that they would even pay for it. How do you become useful, right? And how do you become more useful? And then he wrote another book called Hug Your Haters, which is all about what can you learn from the people that are, you know, that, that are haters, right? Like what can you learn by listening to them, by interacting with them, by turning them from haters to lovers, right? Um, and then there's another guy by the name of Shep Heiken, Hyken, H-Y-K-E-N. He's a customer service and customer experience expert. And, uh, you know, he taught me all about this concept of being amazing, how to be amazing to your customers all the time so that they come back.
0: Thank you so much for recognizing them. Yeah, there's some great books in there and some great ideas on things that we we can all explore to help us be better individuals as well as better leaders. So great. Thank you for recognizing them.
1: Okay, last question. Tell us a little bit about your first job. My first job was as a teenager. I sold siding and windows at a flea market at Aqueduct Racetrack in Queens, New York. And so I had to sit there as people were eating their sausage and pepper sandwich and walking by and looking for their bargains and try and get them interested in having one of our salespeople come out to their home to give them an estimate on their siding and windows. Um, And I learned a lot from that job. I learned a lot from that job. Yeah, I learned I learned how to, you know, just uh, be fearless and go out and talk to people. Uh, I learned how to try and under, you know, quickly get an understanding of what's important to them so that I could, you know, uh, change my pitch and, and, and present what I, what I had of value to them in a way that made sense to them. Um, and I learned a lot about rejection. <laughs> I learned a whole good people in New York are not shy if they don't want to talk to you, they are not shy. They're not going to be polite and listen to you for a second. They are going to make it very clear, very quickly that you do not have their attention. So um, I learned a lot from that job and I got a good tan. So that was fun.
0: Hey, there you go. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And Len, thank you so much for being on the
1: podcast today. How can people find you? You know, the easiest way is just to go to lenherstein.com, L-E-N-H-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com. It's all the information about me. It's all the information about my book, Be Vigilant, Stop, uh, Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance, Safeguard Success. I also love it when people just reach out on LinkedIn, Len Herstein on LinkedIn, connect with me there. And um, I love, I love to just you know connect with people and, and interact and see how we can add value to each other's lives. That sounds great.
0: Thank you so much. My pleasure. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, we invite you to go to teamengagementpodcast.com and either subscribe or follow the podcast on YouTube or wherever you're listening to this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great day.